Hey everyone, welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about movies off of the 200 best horror movies of all time list from RottenTomatoes.com. My name is Clay and with me as always is Amanda. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm pretty good. I'm sitting here surrounded by creepy candles and Halloween shit on Ooh. October 1st. Oh, so. yes. Yes, this actually won't be coming out until <laughs> November, I think. So, fuck. <laughs> you know, God it's just it. an excuse to relive the Halloween time. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we do. Uh, if you've listened to the show, you know that we do movies off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. Uh, you might also know that this list is subject to a <laughs> decent amount of change. And uh, as and I was controversy and controversy, yes. And as I was preparing for this show, I went over to the to the list to see what was going on. And we actually have a first this week, which is um, on our previous episode, Wreck. At the end, I said this week we would be doing number 42, which is it. Well, number 42 is now Mandy. Number 41 is it. <laughs> so, um, and that's... Sure. That just, uh, uh, it, it made me do a little looking, and uh, there's been a lot of changes. I don't know, I don't know what happened, but there seems oh to have been God. a decent overhaul. First of all, uh, maybe, they, maybe someone there has been listening to this show and has decided to make my job less confusing, because the adjusted <laughs> scores yes. are no longer listed. Oh, yeah. interesting. And uh, on top of that, every single movie except for two that we have done so far has been moved. Are you fucking kidding me? I am me? not. The thing that tipped me off to this is that American Psycho, back on the list. So, what we have right now, I'm just going to run down the list just to, so everybody can see how much things have changed. Oh, God. The Shining, which was originally a number 101, is now 113. Uh, no, what? Yeah, it's moved down. Frankenstein is the same. Wes Craven's okay. New Nightmare has gone from 170 to 179. A Quiet Place has moved from 4 to 10. Uh, okay. American Psycho was at 197. Then it was off the list. Now it's back at 200. <laughs> so Americans say at least, at least they're being honest and it's like capping off the list. Yeah, yeah. Let Me In was at 90 but is now 93. Dead Alive was 125, is now 134. Ginger Snaps was 131, which is now 144. House of the Devil was 143, is now 155. Texas Chainsaw was 95, is now 98, which is also three steps down, which is not acceptable. Yeah, what? A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is the same. The Fly has gone from 71 to 72. Carrie has moved from 56 to 50. Halloween 2018 has moved from 91 to 92. Candyman has moved from 185 to 183. Uh, <clears throat> John Carpenter's The Thing, the only one that has gone up, that deserves to go up, has moved from 138 to 135. Uh, and also, funny, um, Fright Night, when we recorded it, was at 110. Fright Night is now at 101. Uh, so Fright Night is now in the shining spot. <laughs> Uh, and Wreck has moved from 144 to 147. Now, keep in mind, we're recording these probably about a month out, so these may com be completely different by the time you hear this. So 
basically what I'm trying oh, wow. to say is um, everything we're doing here is futile. And yep. But uh, the, I, I was curious because it seemed like something must have happened or maybe there was an influx or something uh, if, if like three new movies ended up on the list and just shook everything up. And the only one I could think of, and I did search it, and it is on the list now, is Host, the uh, Shutter, the movie from Shutter about oh, the yeah, um, yeah, yeah. seance on the Zoom call, which is now at number 35, I think. It's very high on the list. Um, I feel like we need to take some sort of snapshot of the list mm-hmm. and like like keep a copy <laughs> of what it is now. Yeah, I need, if, so so that in another couple weeks we or, need a, or a couple months. We need a hardcore fan to do that for us. So they like yeah. build a, a, a spreadsheet <laughs> or a website that keeps track of all the the movies and all the changes and stuff cuz I am way too lazy to do that. Um Yeah, even even as you were reading off of the like all of those like the ones that shifted maybe like two to three spots, it's kind of like, well, okay. But there were a couple on there that it was like, oh, this one was 140 and now mm-hmm. it's 176. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how? Huge, huge jump for Fright Night. Huge yeah. jump. Yeah. And why? Yeah. And big, big drop for uh, The Shining as well. It's a, it's a Which, interesting, interesting uh, living list we have here, living document. Oh, God. But congratulations to host. I'm glad it made it on the list because now it's part of the list <laughs> and I don't have to use a a, a, a a wild card on it, which I definitely would have because it is, it is a ton of fun and, and you should watch it if you, if you can. And hopefully we will. Yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? We might, uh, we might <laughs> never. It might, be, it might be on a number or some. I forget how we, we figured out which numbers we ended up doing or whatever. But um, anyway, what we're here to do today is... Number 41, here we go, 41, not 42. <laughs> when which, it was. Which is 2017's It. Have, uh, had you seen this before, before watching it for this time? Yes. Did we, we, did, yes, did we I, see I, this one together too? I can't, I know we saw the second one together. I can't remember if we saw this one together. I feel like, <laughs> so anybody who's listened to more than one episode of this has probably realized that my going to school while I'm also working gets in the way of me watching many, many movies. Mm-hmm. Unless I force you to do it for the show, in which case you always find the time, which I appreciate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's great because it gives, it gives me a reason to find the time. Mm-hmm. I get to say mm-hmm. to my, my horror movie-hating husband, get the fuck out of the living room. Mm-hmm. I have work to do, <laughs> um, which is great. Uh, I've even shoehorned a couple of these movies into papers I've written in the last year. There you go. It's been wonderfully productive. Um, But so this came out in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is like perfectly in the pocket of like, I would see all these, these awesome horror movies coming out in the last like five years and being like so excited about them and then not watching them at all, Mm -hmm. which is a long way of saying I definitely watched this one late. Mm, like okay. it came out and everyone was super into it and I I just completely missed it. And then I think I watched it at home or maybe even at my mom's house. I, I, I don't remember which. And was like, oh shit, everyone was right. This is pretty good. Mm. Had you, uh, I, we, we know you're a big Stephen King fan, but you were saying last night you had not yes. read the book though, right? 
I have not read the book. Um, this is a really, really long book. It's real long. I was saying it's real long. I was saying last night. I've had the hardcover for about twenty-five years. I've started it four times, and I've never made it very far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, Greg, Greg did the smart thing, which was uh, do the like audio book. Yeah. I've been thinking about, I've thought about doing that, but it's just like, I have the book, so I feel like if I'm going to do it, I need to really do it. Um, I don't know if I'm ever going to do it at this point, but. Yeah, I I, I understand. I understand that urge, though. I'm very much like a, like a physical, like Mm. a hard copy of a book person. Mm. Just, just with something like this, where it's like, it's very long. You kind of want to read it just so you know how it fits in with the movie and mm. less for itself on its own. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've um this is a it's an interesting one for me because uh have you seen the 1990 TV miniseries? No, is that's the one with Tim Curry, yes, right? Yes, yeah. I have not and I've gotten yelled at by multiple people for that you oversight. Know, I, I think it'll be interesting to talk about that a little bit when we get into it, because I think at this point, I don't really know if, if it would be worth watching, uh, just except for like oh. uh, academic sake, because it's it's fine, but huh. it is mu- it's much better if you're watching it when you're a kid, because... I watched mm. the I watched the miniseries when I was a kid, and it scared the crap out of me. And that's when I got the book is because I was I liked the the miniseries so much. And and you know Tim Curry's performance is like Tim Curry. Honestly, Tim Curry's performance is like the only thing worth seeing, unless you really want to see uh, young Seth Green playing uh, Richie Tozier. Um, oh, but it's 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 fun. It's fun. But I think at this point it might unless you're going to see it for like I said, academic value or just to appreciate Tim Curry, it's, I don't know if it's a must-see, honestly. Um, okay. But this this movie is, uh, and I'll be, I'll be interested to talk about it um, compared to this one because I think they both kind of serve the same purpose for different generations. But uh, this is the first, mm. this, when I got the book, I, um, it was my first introduction into how much I value like storytelling economy because oh, yeah. <laughs> I had seen the movie and then I started the book and I'm reading the book and I'm like, what the hell does this have to do with it? This isn't part of the story. This is because I'm going off the story that I know from the movie and Stephen King right. likes to do these like, uh, I don't want to say they're tangents, but he will tell a very long story that has stuff to do with like the world, but not necessarily the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. They're like these little like offshoot vignettes kind of kind of deal. Yeah. And I was not really I did not have the patience for that at the time. because um, I, I want I wanted the plot, I wanted the story, I wanted, you know, the I wanted it to move a little bit quicker than it did. I think now I would probably have a little bit more um patience for it so i might try and go back and and, and read it at some point um this one i had seen this one before uh i saw this in the theater and uh yeah i i i liked it i thought it was i thought it was pretty good i did have one big narrative thing that i wanted to get into about it that watching it last night i still maintain i think this is how i would go with it but we can get into that in a minute yeah um but yeah so we'll take a quick break play the trailer and then we'll talk about it When you're a kid, you think the universe revolves around you. You think that you'll always be protected and cared for. 
Then, one day, you realize that's not true. Because when you're alone as a kid, the monsters see you as weaker. You don't even know they're getting closer. Until it's too late. thinks this town is cursed. That all the bad things that happen in this town are because of one thing. An evil thing. Bill, if you will come with me, you will float too. Saw something. A clown. Yeah, I saw him too. What happens when another Georgie goes missing? Or one of us? Are you just gonna pretend it isn't happening like everyone else in this town? If we stick together, we'll win. Okay, It, 2017, directed by Andy Muschietti, written by Chase Palmer, Carrie Fukunaga, and Gary Doberman, based on the novel by Stephen King, starring Jaden Jaden Martell, Jeremy Ray Taylor, Sophia Lillis, Finn Wolfhard, Chosen Jacobs, Jack Dylan Grazer, Wyatt Olaf, Bill Skarsgård, and a street full of discarded bikes. <laughs> uh, Amanda, what happens in It? Seven young outcasts in Derry, Maine, are about to face their worst nightmare, an ancient, shape-shifting evil that emerges from the sewer every 27 years to prey on the town's children. Banding together over the course of one horrifying summer, the friends must overcome their personal fears to battle the murderous, murderous, bloodthirsty clown known as Pennywise. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good summary that yeah, time. Yeah, it's a good one. So, Clay, mm. some things you might find in this movie mm-hmm. include a literal new kid on the block who likes new kids on the block. Mm-hmm. Hanging tough. <laughs> uh, clown church. Mm-hmm. Gotta go every Sunday. Munchausen by proxy. More like Munch Georgie by proxy. Am I right? Oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, headless Easter egg hunt. Mm. And our favorite. That's it. Questionable that's... parenting. Oh, I was going to say, I think, I don't think there was anything else we need to cover. But, uh, <laughs> yes, this is, this is very much a questionable parenting story because every Stephen King movie is. 
Uh, yeah. And every yeah. I, I think the paper you can write when we get done with this in five years, assuming you're still in school. I don't know how school works anymore. <laughs> oh my god! Hopefully, I'm not in school still in five. <laughs> I am supposed to graduate in May. <laughs> Like, if I'm still in school in five years, I start it all over again. Mm-hmm. Well, you're like 19, right? You still have to finish college and then get your <laughs> master's. Is that how it works? Nope. Um, I think you could write a paper about how horror movies in general are just about questionable parenting at the core of everything. But we can maybe that'll be our wrap-up episode when we finish this uh, series. Oh, maybe that'll be the dissertation for the PhD I don't want to get. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so this, this was, uh, I don't want to take too much time talking about the, the book and the original, uh, mini series, but, uh, this, please, I have, I have eaten up so much time on many episodes about (laughs) the book version of the, these movies. So so go ahead. It's interesting because, um, the, the book is structured, um, very much in a, uh, present time and flashback back and forth. So essentially what happens in the book and the and the uh the mini series is you meet the characters as adults and then as Mike is calling them um that's your inroad to the stuff that happens when they're a kid. So like, you know, Bill will get the phone call ah. and then they'll go into the first story involving Bill and how he meets everybody or or when Georgie dies or whatever. Um and uh it worked really. It works really well in the um, the miniseries, I think, because you've got enough time. You know, they are doing it as two parts, and they you've it you've got enough time to really get into that stuff. Um, but in this one, they definitely chose to play it as though they might not get to do the second one, which I think is probably a good choice. Um, yeah. Because they're kind of capitalizing on a bit of the zeitgeist that's happening, where the a uh, bunch of kids on an adventure uh, genre has kind of come back. You've got your Stranger Things and all the, the surrounding stuff like that has kind of become hot again. Oh, yeah. Um, and they just focus on the kids. And uh, I think they do that to, to to really good effectiveness. But when they get to the second one, which obviously we're not talking about, but I did just watch that today because I was curious. It really kind of like cuts the second one off at the legs because – the second one essentially kind of tries to do the first what cu- tries to kind of do the structure of the book, but you've already met the kids and it. it just doesn't really work that well. So they uh, they focus on just the kids in this. And I think I think it's a lot more successful because it's a story about um, well, in the book, it's a story about like uh, essentially like weaponized nostalgia to an extent. Um, Hmm. and in this one, they are there. It's, it's a nostalgic story because of the time that it's set in and, and the kind of genre of movie that it is, but it's, uh, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. My, all my nostalgia things are kind of flying off in different directions, but yeah, (laughs) they, they focus on the, um, the most relatable aspect of the story, which is these kids coming together and having to fight this monster and stuff. And you don't have to get into the the more adult stuff of like these kids are adults and they all have their lives and this one has an abusive husband and this one is you know it, it, they focus on 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 the good stuff um which i think works well for this movie yeah i i can i can totally see that because i i 
I haven't watched the second one in a while, mm-hmm. but we d- we did actually, as you reminded me, see it in theaters together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think just like in terms of narrative structure, there's something very different when you're introduced to a character who is an adult and they maybe have some character flaws or they have made some choices that you as an audience member are are questioning mm. to like have that established as sort of like the beginning of the character and then go back and see the traumatic event or the upbringing or whatever happened to them when they were a child mm-hmm. to sort of make them that way and then bring it forward again and let them have this kind of redeeming sequence is a little different than going completely chronologically. Mm. Well, Do you know what I mean? Like, it leaves you with, like, a different impression. Yeah. What's interesting to me is, like, the the book and subsequently the, the miniseries are structured as though they're being written for someone Stephen King's age, where he's at that point where he's actively thinking back to his childhood and thinking back to the kids that he knew and, and the friends that he had and stuff like that, whereas this mm. one is a lot more focused on arguably younger people who are still making friends and still creating relationships and who haven't become jaded assholes like we have in our, in our, you know, advanced age. Um, (laughs) but you know what I mean? So it's, it's definitely a different, it's definitely a different approach. And I think, uh, this one is a lot more relatable on a larger sense, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that because you know, what I, what I kind of alluded to, um, at the top comparing this one to the to the the one from the 90s is i think this is very successful in the same way that the one from 1990 was successful fun fact uh it this one actually came out exactly 27 years after the last one and 27 is the big number for when pennywise comes back and all that kind of stuff so that's fun Um, i like that i think this is very successful in the same way i'm just speculating in the same way as the 1991 was which is i think they managed to craft an all-timer for younger a younger generation. Like, I think there are plenty of kids who are younger than we are who saw this, and Pennywise is now a classic movie monster for them. Um, whereas, you know, when I saw mm-hmm. it, I thought it was fine. I thought it was well-made and, blah, you know, had some good stuff, but it yeah. wasn't like... <laughs> It wasn't like burned into my psyche the way the one from 1990 was, and I think that's based entirely on how old I was when I saw it. So Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think this does have that staying power. Um, but yeah, uh, what, what did you think of it? Um, I mean, so I, I have a lot of, like, I enjoy this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. This does think, this does all sound like we're caveating our way around saying we both didn't like this movie. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Which is not really this is not the case, but go ahead. Right, right. No, it's 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 really interesting because I think part of my let, let, let me phrase it this way. Part of my problem with this movie, part mm-hmm. of the reason why I can't give it like a full-hearted oh my god, it's so great is that I feel like it's trying to do the best it can mm-hmm. to fit in so much yeah, from the source material. Mm-hmm. And it just can't. 
like it can't it can't cram it all in there Mm -hmm. it probably shouldn't cram it all in there but it does leave you with a feeling that if you're like me and you haven't seen the miniseries and you haven't read the book you feel like you're missing certain aspects of it when you watch it like Mm. there's there's little kind of like tells and symbols and and things that like like uh the the recurrence of the turtle there's oh yes yeah like like apparently that's a thing that i didn't know about Mm -hmm. um there's the the little poem that bill recites to himself Um, oh right yes yeah he thrusts his fists against the post and still insists he sees the ghosts no stuttering for you apparently not um but apparently like like that's a much more important like saying and it kind of almost like a ritual for Mm -hmm. bill in the book but you don't really like you sort of get it in the movie but it's easy to miss right right i i think there's actually bigger subtext that they they left out as well that i think could have been uh more beneficial to the story and and that the the big one is that in the story Pennywise is, is and the the 1991 doesn't really get to the heart of this as well as it could either. Um, but Pennywise is sort of like infecting the entire town. So the entire town is a lot darker um, when he's around. Like that's why that's part of why uh, Henry Bowers is such an awful person Um there's there's a scene at the beginning of the book that features like a, a really brutal um, hate crime uh, where these uh, th- uh, street toughs from from Derry, Maine, uh, murder this uh, gay guy. Um, it, isn't that the beginning? They use that they, in the yeah. beginning of the second movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, and so like there's there's a general uh, darkness to the town that um, I kind of think that they don't really get across it comes across in some areas yeah but not as not as well as i think it probably could um which is i why i feel some of the stuff in this feels kind of disconnected because i feel like they're missing that one piece that ties everything together it's like oh why are the adults acting so weird why is everybody so awful um yeah that element of the town being kind of under pennywise's spell to a certain extent doesn't really come across yeah, I I think that's a really great point because you you do see it in distinct moments in this movie where like the one I kept thinking of as as you were talking about it was when um Henry and his friends are attacking Ben uh on the kissing bridge mm. and a car drives by and as the car drives by with, like, an older couple in it, Ben is screaming at them, like, help me, please, like, stop, help me. And they kind of stare at him and then turn and just, like, robotically look forward. Right, right. And as the car goes by, a red balloon pops up in the back seat. Mm-hmm. And, like, so that kind of hints at the fact that, like, Pennywise is doing something to the adults in this town to get them to kind of stay out of it. Mm-hmm. They, um, even the fact that people keep stapling the missing posters directly over the former missing right. poster of the last kid, mm-hmm. it, it's like hinted at. Yeah, and they, they literalize it. It's weird because they literalize it, but they don't make it a strong enough theme. 
So it just mm. is like sca- creepy shit that happens. So like, you know, when Ben's at the library, um, the as he's flipping through that book, seeing the history of the Easter egg thing, the librarian is in the background acting like really creepy and weird to him. And they don't focus on it, but she's doing it, you know, like she's. Yeah. She turns around and she's just like staring at him and like hunching over as he's getting closer and closer to the Pennywise pages and stuff. Um, and the 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 pharmacist is a creep with Bev. Um, yep. Eddie's uh, Munchausen by proxy mom. Right. Eddie's mom is is kind of intense. Uh, Eddie uh, Eddie Bauer. Um, Henry Bauer's his dad <laughs> is awful. Um, there's a couple other Bev's ones I know. Bev's dad is yeah, awful. Bev's dad, obviously, yes. Bev's dad is awful. Uh, there's the scene where... Oh, no, sorry. That was in the second one. I shouldn't have watched the second one today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's 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 stuff that they use for creepiness, creepiness factor, but they don't really use it thematically. Um, whether whether yeah. it's everyone being racist towards Mike and his family and stuff, it's it's not really it's not really played out as as a as a larger theme, right? And it and it very easily could have been. I mean, there's there's one moment that I feel like was a small one, but it hit me really hard, um, which is after Eddie has broken his arm and his mom is yelling at the whole uh, losers club. Mm-hmm. And Bev steps forward and she tries to say something. And the mom is like, I know all about you, Miss Marsh. Mm. I've heard about you. Yeah. And the implication is that, like, the same rumors that some teenage asshole started at school have reached the adults somehow. Right, right. And that this adult woman is, like, giving them credence and buying into them, which is kind of like... I don't know. It was it, that was an especially like horrifying moment to me, yeah. even as it wasn't like traditional horror. And I feel like you could have played that into the sort of you know Pennywise influence really easily. Like how how does that sort of thing make the jump, and why does an adult believe that? Mm. Well, I don't know. Well, it's it's interesting to me because uh, I I can't remember for the life of me who said this. I I wish that I could, so I could give them credit. But I, I either read or heard somewhere recently someone refer to it, someone kind of brushing off it as just being a uh, a, a uh, ripoff of Nightmare on Elm Street. And I had never huh. thought about that before. But after I heard that, I was like, eh, he's, he's kind of not wrong. <laughs> <Yeah. it's>, because <laughs> the, uh, that thing you're talking about, that element, kind of gets to... Um, you know, we joke about the questionable parenting thing, but I think the the element that plays so heavily in, in this movie and a movie like Nightmare on Elm Street and a lot of these movies that involve these younger younger kids is that the failure of adults to uh, to be a protector is a is a huge is a devastating blow because when you've yeah. basically every adult in this movie is shitty in some way or another. Um, whether it's uh, Eddie's mom or Bev's dad or even uh, even Bill's dad is is fed up with his son trying to find his missing other son, you know, like there's which that one you can kind of you can kind of go okay yeah you want to kind of move past it or whatnot but like 
the 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 anger that he he puts towards Bill over just wanting to find out what happened to his brother is is just a failure of this these people that are supposed to protect you, which makes you feel that much more vulnerable when there's a giant crazy clown monster trying to kill you. Right. And and like I I think that's totally correct. And I also think that like adding to that, like the the parents you just listed are like the only ones we get to see. Right. Like well we see Stan we kind of see Stan's dad a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just for a second. But we, yeah, but we don't even really physically see him. He's kind of like off screen. Like he he's he's not easily visible. He's not like the center focus of mm-hmm. any shot. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, we 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 don't ever see we see in photos we see Bill's mom. Um Right. Yeah. We don't see Stan's mom. Well, we she, don't Bill- know what happened. Bill's mm-hmm. mom. Bill's mom is is in it briefly at the beginning because she's the creepy music that starts the movie. She is actually shown to be playing on the piano, which is oh really? Yeah, oh, I missed that at the beginning when Georgie's <laughs> going down to get the to get the wax. Um, she he walks through the living room and she's playing the piano and she's playing whatever music is being played on on screen. Oh wow! But that's it. That's pretty much it. Which is kind of, yeah, like actually that's kind of an interesting. I didn't realize that because then. Later on during the uh, garage slideshow, the photo of Bill's mom becomes Pennywise. Mm, yeah. And so, yeah, that that's interesting. There's like a weird kind of connection between their mom and the monster. Yeah. Yeah. I had never thought about that before, but yeah. But I, and also yeah. having her play that music is sort of like a small little detail. There's a lot of really great details of Pennywise's influence over the town coming out in in smaller ways where whether it's yeah. her playing the creepy music or stuff happening on the TV in the background. So Oh like, my god. <laughs> yeah, so like I said, it's like they're they're doing like literal creepy stuff with it, but they're not doing it as as thematically as I there's not as not, it's not as strong of a theme as I think it could be. Yeah, I I I agree. I w- I wish there was a little more it's it's interesting because it sort of reminds me a lot of this movie reminds me of um the haunting of hill house sure just in terms of the like the themes around like children you're talking about the show and, yes yeah okay yeah yeah the, the the way it's shot a little bit and like a little bit of the themes around like kids and thinking that you're safe within your family unit when you're really not mm-hmm. um and sort of like being alone and defenseless without adults but also that like that thing of having the sort of really creepy shit happening in the background right like you're distracted by whatever the the character that you're currently focused on is like they're walking into this room or they're going somewhere and Mm -hmm. there's that has your attention and the suspense, but in the background, there's some weird shit happening that yeah. you're not really noticing. Which I always love because that's... Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. When, when you are focusing on one thing and then you catch something in the background, it usually like stops you cold. You know, it, it, it's... Yeah. Uh, that stuff is... Uh, Hill House did that stuff excellently. Um, yes. The... Uh, uh, I was I was thinking... Um, Talking about another one of the changes from the book that they made, uh, and I was saying that the original was written for Stephen King, thinking back to when he was a kid. The book 
takes place the the kids stuff takes place in the 50s and the in the adaptation 1990 does the same thing uh so it, it jumps back to when stephen king would have been a kid um mm-hmm. and all of the stuff that they are doing and and uh all of the pop culture touchstones and whatnot are of that era. And they for this one, they've updated it. They've jumped it forward about 30 years. So it's 1989 or right or 1990. I can't remember. I guess 89. 89. I um, and I think that's a great choice again for for what I was saying before, because uh, this is you're you're able to. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I I would never batted an eye when things would go back to the fifties because I found that era interesting. I think because I knew it was when my parents were a kid, uh, were kids. So like that's why Back to the Future I think was so interesting to to mm-hmm. a certain extent, and yeah, I was interested in this. And with this uh, new version, I think they get both demographics, where you've got the people who were. Uh, 10 or, or middle school or early high school age. Um, sorry. You've got the kids who watch the, the 1990 version who ha- are nostalgic for it in general, but now that's also jumping back to that time, literally when they were also kids. And then you've got the younger kids who don't know anything about that older generation who are, might have the same interest in, in that era that I did when I, uh, for the fifties. And so it's, it's a, I think it's a really great shift to move it up to, to contemporize it. That's that's really interesting because <laughs> I actually think I am somewhere in between those two groups. Mm-hmm. Um because like I mean my 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 dad was born in the 40s. Mm. Um but I I think my mom was I don't remember. I think my mom was born in like 1960 or mm-hmm. 61 so like that wasn't really like her childhood. So like I don't know. I never had that same level of curiosity for like the fifties, like as an era. And I was also like very, very, very little when the 1990s mm. miniseries came out. Right, so right. I don't really have a memory of 1990. I was like two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but the, the, eighties nostalgia is probably more of a thing that interests me because it's something that so many people who are like as an adult who are like like you and like my husband and like many many people who are my peers as an adult have these memories of like being a little kid in the 80s that mm-hmm. I don't have so right. I find that interesting in the way that like you're saying you would find the 50s era interesting because it's sort of maybe a little bit of a window into like when your parents were young mm. and it also it also makes sense culturally in a cyclical sense because in the 80s there was a big 50s nostalgia boom um Mm. all of the all of the guys all of the the musicians who were popular in the 80s were big fans of the musicians who were popular in the 50s so you had like a new album from roy orbison with bruce springsteen and tom waits and bonnie Wright (laughs) doing singing backup for him or something or uh uh paul mccartney writing songs for the Everly Brothers comeback album in the 80s or something like that you know so and I I, the same thing is happening now where you've got people who are who are my age and a little bit older uh throwing back to that time and bringing all that stuff forward again so it's just a cyclical nature of how this how this stuff works so it it totally makes sense 
Definitely. And it's interesting because even as this movie takes place, you know, when the, the, it's in 1989, it doesn't feel like there are certain things in certain shots. There are things that the kids wear that feel very like 80s. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the town as a whole, like the buildings, the houses, the cars people are driving, those could very, very easily be in the 50s. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're getting this like overlap. Yeah. And I don't think they, I think they very smartly don't hit you over the head with the time period too much. Like they, they, it's a lot of background stuff. Like you'll see movies on the marquee and stuff like that, where it's like Batman and Lethal Weapon 2 at one point and yeah. uh, Friday the 13th. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street yeah, 5. Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Um, but like, and you know, the New Kids on the Block stuff, obviously. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's not like, it's not it's not like uh uh Finn Wolfhard's wearing a Frankie says relax t-shirt or something. You know what I mean? Like they don't they don't they don't hit you too hard with it. Yeah, which is actually not to derail too far, but it is one thing that I I find both charming at times but also a little bit grating about stranger things. Mm, yeah. Is the way they're just like it is the 80s. Right. right. Like all the time. Yeah. Well, I think I think what what this does by kind of blending those things together is it, it makes it more of a timeless story because I, I think you yeah. could watch this at any point in the future and, and not feel like it feels super dated based on what they're giving you because what the kids are doing, I, I think that's one of, the th- one of the things that makes the update so interesting and so effective is what the kids are doing is no different than what kids have always done. Like the stuff the kids were doing in the 50s, maybe they're not playing video games, but they're still riding bikes around town and all that kind of crap. They're still going to the movies. It's still, it's a fairly universal experience. Although, I don't know. I mean, given the way, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but given the way kids <laughs> kids are today in, in 10, 15 years, if they watch this, they're going to be like, there's nobody has a screen in front of their face. What is this shit? Um, I mean, I honestly think if like a 10 year old watched this now, that's exactly what they would be thinking. Yeah. It's like, well, why don't they just pull out their cell phone right. and like yeah. text, text whoever? Like, yeah. But I think what's what were they doing? I think that's an important thing to to try and do is is to is to set it in a time, but also make it feel a little bit more timeless. Yeah, and what this does is it it, it sets it in this sort of universal the past. Mm-hmm. Like it's clearly not modern day, but it could be anywhere between the years of like really like nineteen ninety five and like nineteen fifty. Right, right. You know. uh, it follows does that really well as as well. Oh yeah, where they 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 really um, jumble up the stuff that they have on screen as far as time goes, so it really makes everything feel out of time. Um, but we'll get to that when we cover it follows. You know, there's yeah. uh, there's one thing that I was thinking as I was watching this that I, I I had that process where I was like, oh man, I wish they had done this. But then I was like, ah, I'm glad that they didn't because I think it would have done the opposite of what we're talking about right now. And mm. uh, in the book, and to a certain extent in the in the in the 1990 version, but not really, um, it plays on a lot more. Like I said, a lot more stuff that uh, Stephen King was familiar with when he was a kid. And one of the things that he found scary at the time were obviously monster movies. So in the book, there's a sequence where I think it's either literally Lon Chaney's Wolfman 
or another <laughs> one of the universal monsters shows up and is like tracking down Richie or something like that. It's it's a very literal reference where Pennywise transforms into this popular culture figure. And um, as I was watching this, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is a New Line movie. New Line owns Nightmare on Elm Street. I wish they had put, oh. I wish they had Freddy Krueger show up <laughs> and go after one of the kids. But as soon as I thought that, I was like, nope, you can't do that because that would completely shatter this out of time element and immediately date the movie and probably make it feel dated when you did it. That is, that is if you managed to do it without it seeing really fucking cheesy. Yeah, and even beyond all of that, I feel like the minute you would introduce Freddy Krueger, it would become a Freddy Krueger movie. I'm not saying that would be a bad thing. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying it would be... I might even I'm say I would prefer it. Would be, it. <laughs> but it would just become a very different movie by its very right, nature. Right, Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, after I heard that person say that thing about Nightmare on Elm Street, might not be that different of a movie, really. <laughs> it might yeah, just be... true. Penny. Very true. It would be like, you know how when you're playing a video game, you can put a different, like, skin costume on your character when you're playing Batman yeah. or whatever? It would just be the same <laughs> thing, except a Freddy Krueger skin would be on Pennywise. Um. <laughs> Speaking of characters, uh, these kids are awesome. I think the casting in this movie yeah. is absolutely what makes this thing work at all. Um, oh yeah, yeah. No, the the, the kids. Uh, Bill Scar- Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise is amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he managed to do. I... He managed to to. I don't want to say he eclipses Tim Curry, but he managed to very much move out of the shadow by doing a very different thing than what what Tim Curry does. Yeah, yeah, what he what he does is very he's not trying to do the character in in anybody else's way. Mm-hmm. He very like it seems very much to me like he kind of found his own right, direction right. to go in with mm-hmm. with it, which I thought was amazing. Um even the the high school bullies, I was just like, this is A plus goon casting. Oh, yeah. Like, the, yeah. <laughs> they're so good. Yeah, they managed to, uh, this is no offense to anybody in this movie, but they managed to, they managed to not cast a bunch of models, let's put it that way, for these kids. <laughs> uh, with the exception of Sophia Lillis, who is objectively gorgeous. But all, all of those, all of the boys mm-hmm. in this movie are pretty, pretty derpy looking to some extent. Which is which is well, great. Yeah, they look they look like teenage boys, right? Like derpy looking. Like they're yeah. <laughs> well, like you know, this one's hit his growth spurt, but he's like too tall and gangly and hasn't gained any weight, so he's just like awkward with all the limbs. Right, right. This one still looks like he's nine years old. Like this one's got dumb hair because everybody has dumb hair when they're like fourteen. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I I loved all that. I thought the casting was really really great, and and the kid the child actors in this movie are like consummate professionals. They're so good. Yeah, they they're. I have usually you get one. You know, if you've got a cast full of kids, usually you get like one who's legitimately good, and the rest of them maybe are like two. Yeah, maybe two if you're lucky. Um, this one, they are all perfect and they're they're perfectly cast and they are really good performances too um i i was reading on the imdb trivia that a lot of a lot of their dialogue was actually improvised to some extent like a lot especially richie a lot of richie stuff was improvised oh really (laughs) and everything does have just such a realistic conversational tone specifically 
the way they curse each other out, which <laughs> a lot of times when you try to write that stuff for kids, it feels very written and very forced. I don't know if that's because these kids don't talk like that or whatever, but these kids just settled right in to calling each other dickheads and, and fucking idiots and stuff. And it just, it, it all rolls off the tongue so well. It's so, so realistic. Yeah. I wonder if part of that is that like, if you have an adult writing that sort of dialogue for a child, they either go too far mm-hmm. and make it like too extreme yeah, or they pull back too, too, too much. Cause they are thinking about like, well, you know, we don't want to show like some sweet little, you know, 10 year old saying whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, you kind of forget that when you were 10, you were dropping F bombs all over the place. Yeah. And I was thinking about that too. Cause I was like, man, these kids are throwing around this language in a way that's very accurate. But I was, I was trying to figure out why at that age that becomes a thing. And I realized it's, it's the first time you realize that words have power because you re- you mm. discover there's a subset of language that you are not supposed to use. And yeah. the use of that is used for accent and for insult and it gives you it gives you like an an it, it allows you to take some control and and uh have some power over people just by the words that you're using. And it's 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 like it's like giving a kid a new toy. Uh, that of course they're going to use it. And once they realize that, oh, this actually has an effect on people, then it becomes that much more interesting and fun to use. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's the the reaction you get after you say the words. Right, right. And the yeah, the way the way it impacts, the way it hits all the people around you. And, and yeah, also like the fun of it being something you know you're not supposed to be saying. Right. And to uh, uh, talking about what you're saying about adults writing for kids man when when that's bad it is terrible like it writing (laughs) adults writing for kids who are like under the age of 10 is almost universally terrible because it's always it always doesn't never sounds like something that that a kid of that age would actually say because like you're saying it's overwritten usually or it's like really infantilized to a point that it doesn't make sense um but here it's clearly these kids are just talking the way that they talk and they've got stuff that they have to say and either they they manage to figure out how to improv into it or they just were co- that good and that comfortable with it that they could make it sound that natural either way it's it's very successful yeah it's 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 absolutely really impressive it's it's clear that like the the actors themselves had a really good grasp on like the fundamentals of each character that they were playing. Mm. And that kind of allowed them to like improv and have fun with it and make it feel way more natural than I think it would have otherwise. Mm. Uh, Pennywise, we talked about him a little bit. Um, I really like, so here's, I think here's where we start to get a little bit more negative, at least for me anyway. Um, Mm. I do appreciate the performance and i do think that between the design i think the design of him is fantastic the makeup is great the special effects in this movie top to bottom are fantastic it's probably one of the best looking cgi horror movies i've ever seen like generally i don't like cgi in horror movies because it feels so fake and 
that stuff kind of tends to successful horror movies tend to live in the believability of stuff uh, mm. to an, to a certain extent, and having mm-hmm. real things usually obviously feels Helps. more real than than yeah. computer stuff. Even if the real tangible stuff doesn't look great, it still works for some reason over bad CGI. Um, this has fantastic CGI. It's almost seamless. Yeah. The transformations yeah. and stuff they're doing, all the little stuff with his eyes going weird and like certain little bits of him changing at different points. It's all great. The the when at the end when his head sort of collapses in on itself and the blood kind of goes up, it's all fantastic. I think I I feel a butt coming along. Yeah. <laughs> I think the way that they they go into the scary stuff is a little samey for me. It it uh <laughs> They kind of do the same thing every time, which I wrote in my notes as the old scare and shuffle, where uh, <laughs> they do something creepy and they build this amount of tension. And then almost every single time it pays off with basically Pennywise or some monster just going and just like yeah. <laughs> skittering towards the camera really fast, which is effective like the first time. But even watching the second one, it was very similar where it was it was kind of the same thing over and over and over again. And I don't know. I, I, I think this the stuff that they're showing is really inventive like that. I love the sequence in the house. Um, the first time they go into the house where uh, uh, they get split up and they get the clown funeral and all that kind of stuff. And the, the, three, yeah. the, the clown funeral actually features uh, Tim Curry's. Pennywise makeup is in is one of the clowns in in that sequence. Oh, that's fun. Um, he's he's the one they show him a couple times. He's like the closest one to the casket, and he's got like yellow and blue and kind of like bozo hair. Um, but uh, that sequence is really fun. But again, it's a lot of the same kind of stuff where it's Pennywise does something creepy, and then they re- kind of rush the camera. Um, and that gets a little bit old for me. I think my favorite bit in the in the whole movie is the the slideshow bit because uh, that and even that one does more or less the same thing. But I, I just love it because it's <laughs> they do the thing with the slideshow and it starts like the slides start changing. And like you said, the mother turns into Pennywise and then the thing just falls off. It falls yeah, onto the ground. They're, they're trying to stop it. Yeah. And uh, you've got the the thing going, and then there's like this beat, and then he just like larger than life bursts out of the wall, and it's really really effective and really really fun. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little bit overall. I thought it was a little bit uh, uh, one note for me. Yeah, I I see what you're saying. Like there there is a lot of like something creepy appears and then when it starts moving it starts moving really suddenly Mm -hmm. really unnaturally and like rushing really fast towards you yeah you've got the the headless easter egg guy does it the uh (laughs) the the leopard does it pennywise does it like 15 times the leopard does it in a little bit of a different way though okay he shuffles with like two broken feet as opposed to two regular feet i guess (laughs) Right, well, like it does kind of slow him down. I yeah, feel like okay. he, he's less the leper. The leper figure actually scares me kind of the least. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, yeah, he looks like if you just got a broom handle and you like shoved him over, he'd fall down. Right. Yeah, like, he doesn't look exactly look. structurally sound so much. Exactly. Exactly. Like he, he's kind of like, yeah, all right, you're 
whatever. Um, I think for me, like, like speaking of the most effective, like scare, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to go back through them because there was a lot in this movie. Like this, this movie is very generous with its, uh, like frightening Mm. sequences. Um, Starts early and it's, they keep happening. Yes. But, but, but that's different. Like, I feel like we, we've, watched plenty of movies at this point where it's like yeah the first like 40 minutes of this are pretty slow and then it really picks up mm, um yeah and this one's just kind of like straight out the gate it's mm-hmm. just gonna like go for it um in terms of like the supernatural scares i i think like the most frightening sequence for me is the is the opening with uh pennywise in the sewer mm, in georgie yeah yeah, because there's just something so like that, like the the the, the slow build, the tension of like Georgie kind of like leaning down into the sewer grate, and you just you want him to leave, like right. you want him to run away so bad, and you know he's not going to, yeah. and it it does something that I think is missing, like you're saying, from a lot of the other like jump scare kind of moments. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because I did want to talk about that because that has two other things that I don't love about Pennywise in it. Because that, mm. that whole bit is great. I don't love that they show his monster face biting into him. Uh, I I don't know. Like, I just find it, I found it so much scarier because th- that sequence when he gets his arm torn off is like oh, legitimately God. horrifying because he's... Yeah, like crawling out, and he's <laughs> bleeding all over the street and everything. It's it's yeah, awful. He's this sweet little boy who's like adorable, and yeah, he's like using the stump of what's left of his arm to try to crawl away to safety. Yeah, and I guess I just don't I don't love that they give the game away on what Pennywise is 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 so quickly. Like right off the bat, it's like oh, he's a clown and he turns into this monster. I I would prefer it if it was a if it was. He gets his arm torn off. You don't exactly see how that happens, and then the rest of it plays out as it is. Uh, and then they save the monster teeth for a little bit later. You know, I I agree with that, especially knowing that. Well, it's 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 tough. I I would I agree with it, but I would agree with it even more had they only made this movie and not made the second part. Okay, where in the second part. Pennywise becomes all sorts of crazy fucking monster Mm -hmm. shit and like is even more horrifying and even more strange looking when you really see his true form in part two. So I, I guess if they had both parts in mind where it's like, okay, yeah, in part one, he's a clown with sharp teeth, but in part two, he's going to be something totally insane. Mm hmm. I'm a little more willing to roll with it. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. The uh, the other thing that I, I and I I know I earlier had got just fe- uh, said that Skarsgård manages to do something different um, from Tim Curry, but I'm gonna compare them for a second because the other thing that I don't love is that Pennywise is never not creepy in this, and Part of what is so great about the Tim Curry version is that he's a clown. He's meant to disarm you. Uh, 
and he's not a monster the entire time. So like he will, what, the scene with Georgie in, in the 1990 version, Tim Curry approaches Georgie as a clown. Like he's, his energy is very high. He's very bright. And then he mm. turns on the Tim Curry dial and goes into a monster. Um, I, I kind of felt like that contrast was missing. He's, he's just creepy all the time. There's no like, there's no creepiness built into the fact that he is disarming as a clown, but has this dark side to him. He's just a creepy clown. That's really interesting. That that's that's another. This is another reason why I do wish I had seen the nineteen ninety version. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I can see how that would be more effective in terms of like what is scary when you're watching it, like that transformation from the sort of like friendly, fun figure into something much more disturbing. Mm-hmm. I also think I could see it working better in terms of like, why are these kids like outside of the losers club, like Georgie and Betty Ripsom and all the rest of them who get lured in separately. Like, why are they drawn to this figure? Because I feel like, yeah, even as like a seven year old, if I had seen that clown in the sores, I would have been like screaming for my mom immediately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also wonder if it has something to do with, like, I guess just just to sort of, like, push back on it, just for the sake of pushing back on what you're saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just to be contrary. <laughs> um, like, maybe part of it is that Pennywise is just what it is. Mm. Like, there's really no hiding how like monstrous and and unnatural and sort of ravenous that this creature is mm. um like if if it could hide itself better it maybe wouldn't need to just go after kids mm. um i don't know i don't really have a real like unified theory around this i'm just, just trying to see if i can poke holes in what you're saying for for the fun of it <laughs> yeah it's just uh it, it just kind of all falls under the same umbrella of the this creepy and scary stuff feeling fairly samey to me um with not a lot of uh style contrast to it um cuz you know I did I, I was just oh. going to say horror, horror, effective horror is all about like ups and downs right it's all about it's kind of like music to an extent or or telling a joke rather and if you if you tell four different jokes that have four different punchlines, but the structure of the jokes never change. Eventually you start to see the formula and it just starts Mm. to go like, yeah, okay, that was funny, but you know, it didn't really, there was no surprise built into the humor. It's just, it's just, you're just saying the joke. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what turns me off a little bit about, about the way they handle that stuff. That being said, I do think it's all super fun. Yeah. Like everything they do with Pennywise is super fun and it's like it's such a it's such an improvement over the stuff they were doing in the I mean Tim Curry the only reason that movie works at all is because Tim Curry is as good as he is it wasn't because yeah. the effects were good let's put it let's <laughs> let me be clear um and uh and uh, uh so they have obviously every updated everything and and it and it looks great and it is a ton of fun I actually watching the second one 
today. I remember when we saw it in the theater, I didn't really like it because it's kind of the same problems I have about the first one, but it's longer and not as good. So it's <laughs> it's like it's very samey all the way through, and it's also like two and a half hours long. But as I was watching it today, I was watching it while I was working, and I enjoyed it a lot more because it was really funny. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's a legitimately funny movie. And um, also, I can't hate a movie where they took the opportunity to like shot for shot, including the line, do the the head spider sequence from the thing, where they do oh. <laughs> the where uh, Stan's severed head turns into the the head spider from the thing. They even do the shot from behind with the backlighting. And then they cut to um, Bill Hader, who says, you got to be fucking kidding me, which is A plus, A plus reference. Um, <laughs> that's that's interesting that you said you enjoyed it as a comedy, because that that's something that I I don't know where Greg like heard it or mm. read it or whatever. But like he insists whenever we talk about the few times we've talked about it part two and I'm always just sort of like, yeah, it wasn't as good as part one. It's a little bit of a letdown. He's like. Sure, in terms of a horror movie, but it's a great comedy. He's not wrong. Yeah, it is. It's He's not re- wrong. It's really funny. Yeah. Uh, it's it's still very long though. It's, it's yeah, they're uh, both very long. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I I did just want to ask you, kind of just for the hell of it. Sure. Which of the kids, y- y- you know how Pennywise takes the form of their like greatest fear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In your opinion, which of the kids? vision of Pennywise is the most frightening. Mm, uh, okay, so help me remember what they are. Uh, there's the leper kid for for Eddie. The leper guy for yes. Eddie. Uh, uh, the blood room for Bev. Yes. What is Richie? Richie's an interesting case because he doesn't see anything until they go into the oh, well house. Oh, that's right, yes. And then he's in a clown church. Clown church. Okay. Stan. Uh, flute lady. Flute lady. Oh, I hate flute lady. That's. <laughs> I. I wish they had cut that whole thing out. I don't. I don't think it's very good at all. Um, yeah, I don't either. And Bill. What is Bill? Is just Georgie. Georgie's murder. Is is yeah, Georgie. I, his dead little brother. I would say that one because it has lasting consequences. <laughs> oh. Oh, but what about Mike? Mike. Uh oh! With the the people being caught in the oh yeah, because his parents, it's his parents. Yeah, yeah. Well, that brings me into the next thing I wanted to talk about. But uh, to to finish that <laughs> off, what uh, what would are you would yours be Mike? I think mine is Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that yeah. One's... Your parents, your parents, like locked behind a door, screaming for you to help them while they burned to death. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty And it rough. really happened to you in real life too? That's that's the worst. That's low hanging fruit, Pennywise. Come on, you can be more creative than that. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, the other thing I wanted to talk about that I really don't like about this is uh Mike just gets completely kneecapped as a character in this. He in Yeah in the book, basically everything that Ben does in the movie is stuff that uh Mike does in the book. So Mike is, I think he's, I don't know if he's the new kid in town in the book. That might just be in in the original movie. I can't remember. But he's the one who's like interested in the history of the town. And 
does all the archival stuff, finding about the history of Pennywise, which makes that much more sense uh, when he becomes the one who stays behind and is the keeper of knowledge, essentially, for the second one when he's got to bring everybody back. Yeah. Um, and this one, he's really kind of an afterthought. He's, uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he's the new kid in in the story, in the original story as well, uh, because uh, at least I'm remembering from the 1991, he is brought into the club very similar to the way that Ben is brought into the club. And mm-hmm. it just really, like, if you took Mike out of this, nothing changes, essentially. He's a pretty expendable character in this. Yeah, that's a really weird choice. Yeah, I'm, I, it's, 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 a, it's, a, there's a couple things about this where I would almost have, I don't think they could have gotten away with it because of fan response or something, but if you're going to do that, just collapse them into the same character or something and just uh, eliminate one of the characters. You know what I mean? Cause it's like Mike, Mike in the book and in, in, in the original, in the other story is, is really interesting as the role that he plays. And here he's just, I don't want to say he's just the token black kid, but he kind of is. Yeah. It just seems weird that they decided do that Mm. i don't know i don't really know what the motivation would be behind that other than the fact that they wanted to justify ben's like budding romance with beverly yeah yeah i mean i don't know i feel like i feel like they could have given mike all the stuff that he does in the book and and still managed to do that with ben and, and beverly i don't know it's especially weird because they remove him physically as well. Right. They put him yeah. like he's homeschooled. He lives out on the farm. Yeah. Um, he's very much not part of the core group from the beginning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot of steps to take to sort of just pull him out of the center of the group. Yeah. All he... Unfortunately, all he brings to the group is violence, essentially, because he brings the, the 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 gas gun that they use to to shoot uh, Pennywise with the slaughterhouse gun, and he's just sort of there. Otherwise, um, and even at the end, they kind of remove him a little bit too. Uh, it, yeah, it's. I think it's a big mistake. I think because uh, because in the second one, when you get to that part where he's the one who stayed behind, it just doesn't ring true that he's this uh person who's interested in the history of the town and stuff when very much ben was doing that in the last one so i don't know no i i totally agree it does feel like they swapped those two characters yeah um the last thing i want to talk about save the best for last because this is my hottest take on this on this movie (laughs) i don't know if i don't know if it's a hot take um i think Given the story that they tell in this movie, which is Bill and his drive to def- to find what out what happened to his brother, which uh, brings this group together, um, his drive to go defeat this monster ultimately causes the group to break up because they think he's insane and they don't want to get killed by a monster. They just want to be kids and live their lives. I think ultimately 
he should be the one who gets captured at the end, which uh, is the catalyst for everybody else actively going down to destroy Pennywise and not Bev. Because Bev, it doesn't play that role in this story. She plays that role more in the book, I think. Uh, but she doesn't. She's not this unifying factor that they present her as in this in this story. Whereas Bill's quest is the unifying factor for everybody in this. So to have his group fall away because they're too scared to finish the job, and then have Bill say, "This is what I have to do. I'm going to go do this," and then he he either does it and he gets captured or some version of that where he's all they've left him alone and by leaving him alone he's become vulnerable and he gets captured by Pennywise so then the rest of them have to come back together and reform this group around him who is the center of this group in order to save them I think narratively makes more sense and is more satisfying I I definitely see where you're coming from Um, but again just for the sake of poking holes in what you're saying (laughs) thank you um it's interesting that you said that like bill's quest is the unifying factor when it is the thing that splits them up right but they come together for the for for that that's part of the 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 thing that brings them together is this quest right would you say that that's true? No, def- yeah. definitely. But I, but I think there's an argument that can be made either way. Sure. And I th- think Bev does have some of that unifying factor effect. Mm-hmm. Um, like obviously most of the boys kind of have a crush on her. Right. Um, Bill very much overtly does. So does Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one who throws the first rock to save Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I kind of see why it's her. Um, I think her going missing when she is kind of innocent of anything, like. Bill was almost taunting Pennywise. Not taunting, but like going after Mm -hmm. him, which the others were saying that you're bringing this on us. Right. Bev, on the other hand, was not. And so for her to be the one who's taken when she hasn't done anything to instigate it, I could see that sort of being more of a, a rallying cry. Mm. Well, you know, the the the, re- the thing that I think m- makes it make sense the way they do it. I also don't I also don't like it cuz it just comes off as as very uh um damsel in distressy like the monster just captures yeah, the lady, it you does. know. But yeah. if I were to defend the way they do it, which I also think is also a defense of the way I would do it, is if I had to say why does he capture Bev? It's because Bev is the one who is the least afraid of him. So she takes her off the board. And so mm. which so all that's left are the scaredy cats. But I also think that Bill, you could argue, is 
his head, uh, his head strong, head strength, head strong, <laughs> his head strength. Um, he's powerful. Yeah, head. like he's he is this driving force to to get him to get Pennywise. So if you take him off the board for that same reason, where he's the he represents the biggest threat because he does he is not afraid of him anymore um then i th- yeah. then you then you're left with the all the friends who are afraid of the are, are afraid of him and have to kind of like you know buck up and go go get their friend back um but if I, I think that's why they do it the way they do it because bev is shown through the the story to be the one who uh stabs him first and like they kind of realize she's the one who realizes that if if you're not afraid of him he can't hurt you so i can see why taking her off the board would would make sense um right i don't know if they lean into that as much as they could to make it seem less like she's just you know fey ray getting grabbed by king kong on the way (laughs) up the building um but yeah yeah there's also an a bit of an argument to make that she's good bait Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the boys, they either have crush on her or would just feel obligated to go save the girl because of the way culture is. Well, would they would they not feel that same obligation with Bill? Because Bill's saying, I need your help to do this. And they're saying, we don't want to help you. And then he ends up getting taken. So now they feel bad that, oh, well we weren't there to help him and now he's gone. I mean, probably, but you could also argue that they might say, well, we warned him. We told him not to sure. do this. Um, my that would be, read on it is more that would be a that, great end to the movie. If Bill gets taken, that would and be they're like, well, <laughs> we told him anyway, see you in September. I mean, guys. He did know. <laughs> Um, I was just going to say that I think leaving Bill on the board is important because he's the one who is stubborn enough to force them all back into it. He's the, like they need that rallying. He's the hero of the movie, ostensibly. Like he's, even though it's an ensemble piece, he's the, he is the one at the center who is driving the story. So he needs to be the one. If if you're gonna have if you're gonna have a damsel in distress mo- moment, uh, is that the male version of a damsel in distress? A damsel in distress. A damsel. If you're gonna have a, a damsel in distress <laughs> moment, you you have to have your knight figure who goes into the lair of the dragon to save her. You know. I'm still stuck on damsel. I, hey, that works for me. I I I'm into it. So I I get it I get yeah. it but I I I. I would have found it, I think, a little bit more narratively interesting if they had tried something different, I guess. Yeah. I I, I don't I don't disagree. I think they could have made yeah, it work. Yeah. Uh and then everybody would have been mad because it was too different from the book. So uh yeah. Yeah, yeah. cancel. Well, you win some, you lose some. Either way. Um I think that's uh oh, uh the the music was the music is good. It's uh, it it's not. It doesn't really stand out to me. I wasn't really paying too much attention to it. So, but it is, 
it is used very well, and the uh, uh, the the composer Benjamin Wallfish actually is the, one of the composers who did Blade Runner twenty forty nine, among other oh. movies. So he he knows what he's doing. He's a good composer. I enjoyed certain things about the sign ugh, sound mm. design. Um, those there were these moments where it was kind of difficult to tell whether or not you were hearing the soundtrack or what was actually mm. happening in the world of the movie. Um, and I enjoyed those moments. Um, and, and I liked, there were other times where like Bev is reading the poem on the postcard in her bathroom and she's sitting in the bathtub and there's this like, beautiful romantic swelling music and then it kind of slows down and gets distorted as like pennywise reasserts his Mm. influence i liked that yeah very very well done this whole movie just top to bottom is just uh a very professional movie i guess (laughs) it's it's really slick it's so slick it was meticulous it looks fantastic it's it's a it's the first for all of the quibbles and and whatever I have with it it's it's just a really satisfying uh big budget like uh mainstream horror movie which yeah I don't I can't I don't know I don't feel like you you get a lot of those anymore um like this had a lot of stuff behind it it was I uh it it started a uh it jump started a new resurgence of Stephen King adaptations which had kind of fallen by the wayside for a, for a while um and so i mean it's they clearly put money into it and they clearly made that money it was it's like the second i think it's the second highest opening r-rated mo- highest grossing r-rated movie of all time or something like that or it might be even it might even be oh, the wow. first uh i don't actually have it in front of me but um yeah, so it's 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 a it's a lot of fun. I think it's for all of the things it that it might not be scary or whatever. The stuff that the story I think is is good enough that it carries that stuff and it looks great, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't need to keep I don't need to keep trying to make it sound like I like it more than I do. Um, <laughs> but uh, what about uh, the placement on this on the list? This was number forty as of today. It's number forty one. Um, feels kind of high. <laughs> yeah, I'm torn because, given what you just said, it, it does feel like it should be pretty close to like the top thirty or whatever. But on the other hand, I I just I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. This this feels like I enjoy, I enjoyed it. I think it's fun. I think it's really well made. Do I think it's the forty third best horror movie of all time? I personally do not. Or forty second best horror movie. I mean, it's. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I get uh, mileage will vary. I I guess like you know if you talk to someone who saw this when they were thirteen in ten years, they might say, "Oh my god." That's the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. I don't know. 
because I do think it exists sure. in that weird sort of nebulous area where I think younger people are going to hold this in higher regard than I do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't if it were if I had to if I had to move it, I don't know if I would put this under 100. Really? Yeah, it's like it's not like can I if if I had to choose if 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 someone said to me, "All right, you got to watch you got to watch a horror movie." Would this be in the first 40 that I would choose? Probably not. Or the first 50? Probably no. Uh so yeah, I, I think for me, I, I would knock it down quite a bit. It's still, I think it still deserves to be on the list, definitely, and and I just don't know if it if it deserves to be this high. Yeah, I would probably put it closer to one hundred. Yeah, but I think I'd still keep it in the top hundred. Yeah, just because I mean Pennywise is so iconic. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's interesting because I feel like most of this episode, we've both been trying to justify why we're both not crazy about this movie. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, are we too old? Is that it? No, because I, I think all of our I think all of our problems are totally valid. Um, <laughs> of course, you do. Yeah, I, I run the show, so I, I, I assume all of our problems are valid, and everything that we say that we like is absolutely correct. Anyway. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for our coverage of It. We're going to leave out on a high note there. Um, and uh, next time I hit the uh, randomizer, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, 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 and we will be doing uh, 100, number 182, which is 2014's Oculus. Oh, okay. Which will be fun because that's directed by Mike Flanagan. Yeah. And uh, I think who who directed uh, Haunting of Hill House, which I believe the sequel series is coming out fairly soon. It might already be out by the time this is out. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's coming so out. So that'll like be fun. October 8th, I want to say, 9th. Oh, okay. So it'll already be, it'll already be out by the time... We we do Oculus, so that'll be that'll be fun. Try not to talk about that too much on our coverage of okay. Oculus. All right. Uh, anyway, if you like the show, you want to give us a rating or review on iTunes, that would be great. And uh, if you please check out all the other shows that we offer under our umbrella, we have the Penske File, where we talk about uh, Star Trek. We have Badass Podcasts, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. We've got this. We've got a whole bunch of stuff. If you like, if you like giving money to people, head over to Penske File. <laughs> sorry, Patreon.com/slash Penske File. Throw us a couple bucks, you get some extra stuff. You'll love it. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, but thank you guys. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. And we will see you next time with Oculus. Bye, everybody. Bye.